the first test. I've got my first exam tomorrow. My one class. <coughs> um, so, pray for you. Glad you can still be here. Hope tonight's an encouragement. Um, continuing our topic for the semester on sex and Jesus, the Bible or relationships. Um, looking at how the Bible talks about uh, sex, a topic that we're all interested in, have concerns about, desires for, longings for, um, and also uh, maybe problems with as well. And looking at how the Bible talks about it, the Bible particularly, uh, we looked at one week, says that sex ultimately is about Jesus. It is painting for us a picture of redemption of all that Christ has done for his bride, the church. So we want to look at uh, kind of various different topics every week and how certain scriptures speak into that. And this week we're looking at, uh, at sexual perversion. Um, now, it might offend you a little bit just for me to perversion. Uh, and I want to assure you before we get into any of it, like this is not a hate sermon, okay? Hopefully you'll never, and you will never have a hate sermon in our yet, but um, we're always concerned to preach the gospel, and the gospel is about, um, it's about God's love for us in Christ and redemption. It's, it's, the gospel includes God's hatred for sin, his hatred and condemnation of sin, but his love that is so great that he would condemn Jesus in our place for our sins, that we might receive his love and be accepted and welcomed um, into his holy fellowship. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about various sides of that, but I want you all to make sure even from the get-go that you know we have that, uh, that understanding. Um, if you've got, like, the announcement sheets on the back side is the scripture passages that we'll be looking at, Genesis 2 and, and into 3, um, as, we, as we get to this. But let me say as well, just in talking about sexual perversion, um, that I'm not, uh, we're not speaking to, like, some strange they out there who deal with sexual perversion, right? Um, I'll say openly before y'all, I'm a sexual pervert. Um, I don't want to go into uh, tell you what those things that I've done that I think are um, any more than you would like to tell me, um, but that's a struggle that I have, the struggle that we have. Um, I'm preaching to y'all, I'm preaching to the campus. Um, I, I try to invite the whole campus to come to RUF, you know, some of y'all made it, the other, the other 30,000, but, you know, kind of, we find a way to track this. Um, but we're, really, every week in our year, we're trying to preach the gospel that needs, a, that, that all of us, how the gospel uh, speaks to all of us. That the whole of the campus people, uh, very far from any knowledge of, of, of Christ or the gospel, for those of you in this room, and for those of you in this room who would say, uh, I'm a Christian, um, that still, we're sexual perverts who need the gospel. Um, we're not looking at such a sexually explicit uh, passage this week as we have the last uh, couple of weeks, but looking at uh, Genesis 2, um, uh, on to th- uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Now let me pray for us. Uh, would you pray with me that God would, uh, would encourage us through his word tonight? Uh, Lord God, we come to you um, insecure, um, with much unfulfillment, a desire for more, a desire to be loved, um, but knowing our wrongs, uh, knowing our weaknesses, not being sure in some ways what anyone will think of us and trying to hold it together. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us in your word. You speak to us truth, uh, and truth even about your love to us. 
pray that your spirit would work tonight to encourage us wherever we are tonight. Uh, Lord, having very little concern for these things, maybe some of us in this room or others who are jumping to dive into it or others who, Lord, maybe we come bored and worn out tonight. And we pray, Lord, for all of us that you would make uh, scripture rich, uh, that you would let us uh, feel uh, the, the truth of it uh, and our need of it. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work even in what I would say, uh, reading and seeking to preach your word, that it wouldn't be uh, my own, uh, anything that I would want to say for myself, uh, but that it truly would come from you and it would work in us that transformation into the image of Christ that you and we desire and we would experience uh, that uh, degree of fulfillment that you give us in Christ. We ask your blessing uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, we'll start reading with verse 18 uh, and stop in the middle of chapter 3. Um, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground of the out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Uh, But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, 
who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and eat dust, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The passage goes on uh, to speak of the curses that goes out to the woman and to the man, uh, still God clothing them, but Adam and Eve being removed from God's fellowship and cast out of the garden. That's the word of the Lord after us. Uh, sexual perversion, then. Um, I, I remember a quote that I think describes uh, sexual perversion maybe uh, fairly well. It's from The Revenge of the Nerds, which is a movie way before your time, and hopefully none of you have seen it. I, I wouldn't really encourage you to. Um, but I remember a scene uh, where one of the guys is talking and saying something about you know, straight and gay and bisexual, and he says, well, well I'm, I'm a trisexual. And then the, the people around him go, trisexual? What's a trisexual? Uh, his verse was, trisexual, that means I'll, sexually I'll try anything. <laughs> right? Um, I, I think we could say that we live in a, in a trisexual culture, um, if you'll take it that way, where there's such a longing uh, for sexual fulfillment and satisfaction uh, that we'll try anything to try to, uh, to define uh, what we're looking for. Any, any one, any time, any way, uh, whatever we want, kind of whenever we want it, it's all right if it seems like it might uh, make us feel good, if it might uh, work out well. Maybe feel like that'll be you know, the, next, the next girl or the next guy. Uh, you'll find that uh, greater fulfillment or in, in things somewhat more extreme. Or, or more intense or, or kinky. Um, we live in a, a trisexual culture. Maybe there's various ways to, display, to uh, explain this. Uh, one way is just to be to say that's, that's what sex is. You just go around working those natural functions and see what, uh, see what does it for you. Or, or maybe it's on the other side that, that we don't know what to do with sex. We don't know what sex is for. We don't know uh, what the meaning of it is and where we're looking for that, grasping for this fulfillment. Or on yet another side, maybe it's that we have some idea of what the meaning of sex is, but we don't like it. Um, and it's rebellion against that. There's a lot of people who would say, listen, sex is for marriage. And the answer that you'll get from most people is, so what? I'm not married and I want sex. So like, I'm not going to accept those limitations to it. We live in a, in a trisexual uh, culture, if you will. Uh, and because of that, uh, sexual perversion, I think, doesn't always have a strong moral overtone. It maybe it does to some of you, but maybe to some of you it, it, it doesn't, uh, either positive or negative morally. Sometimes perversion is, is just as easily seen as a, as a good thing, as something that's sexually appealing. Uh, if someone is described as a sexual partner who's willing to try anything, uh, that's, that's pretty appealing uh, to most folks. So I think we even need to ask the question, 
is there such a thing as sexual perversion? Uh, and if so, what is it, and where does any right and wrong, uh, sexually right and wrong, where does that come from? And where do we fit in with that? And then even to ask, how does God deal with the sexually perverted? Which is to say, how does God deal with us? So as we go through the passage, I want to just encourage you to ask yourself, um, what would God think of my sexual acts and my sexual desires? You don't have to tell me, but be asking yourself. And, and, and knowing that, ask, uh, with God knowing that, what do you think that God thinks of you and how he relates to you? In the first section of the passage we, let, we read, in Genesis 2 uh, portion of it, we see God's original design uh, for sex. Um, uh, original sexual perfection, uh, if you will, that existed from how God designed the relationship between Adam and Eve. Um, not to, uh, don't let you go too far and encourage fantasy uh, among any of you, but, uh, but you know, just imagine that God is the one who has created Eve and created her perfectly uh, for Adam. I mean, I mean, I'm just imagining, without going into detail, that Eve had the perfect body, right? Uh, this, you know, the one to ten scale, like, he's going to be a ten. Uh, Adam, the same thing, right? Like, I'm assuming girls, I don't know what that looks like. You know, <coughs> all right, but Adam was probably a ten. And, and not just physically, but relationally, right? The way that they would care for one another, that Adam treated Eve perfectly. He loved her intimately, loved her well, and, and, and Eve reciprocated that love fully and mutually, uh, the bond that was before him. Uh, we asked the question uh, a few weeks ago. We said, uh, you know, in terms of who came up with the idea for sex? Who came up with the idea for incredible, uh, mind-blowing, out-of-this-world experience, desire for satisfaction and gratification uh, to the core of your being? You know, who came up with the idea for, for sex and sexual satisfaction? It's God. It's the Holy God has done so. Um, and, and we see that, especially God's acts in creation, and then especially in verse 18 that we began uh, reading with here. Uh, the Lord God is the one who said, it's not good that man should be alone. And he's the one who said, I will make a helper fit for him. And it's a really rich phrase, kind of fun, we can't get all the way into it, but this, this helper fit for him, or this person who's designed as the perfect match to him, to be fitted to him in every way, uh, you know, emotionally fitted to him and socially, uh, you know, her, her mind connected with his, um, her uh, you know, spiritually connected with one another, and even a sense uh, physically, right? There, there's part of physically fit together how God has designed uh, the man for woman and, and Adam and Eve for one another. Um, and so after God had said this in verse 18, then it's, then it's kind of strange, right? And the Lord God goes and brings all the different kinds of animals before Adam for Adam to name him. And Adam does. He names all the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven. Um, and uh, you might appreciate at this point in the story that Adam is not trisexual. <coughs> and that's not what's going on. Uh, um, and that's not what's going on here. Um, but but there's, a, uh, there's, there's a building of anticipation uh, um, that you, you notice Adam's lack of satisfaction in verse 20, right? He's named all these animals and the, and the point at the end of it, but there was not found for Adam a helper fit for him. His soul longed for something uh, that, that hadn't yet been brought into existence, and he's waiting for that. Um, 
and you can, uh, uh, th- then the Lord causes him right to fall into a deep sleep as the story goes, and he takes uh, a rib from Adam's side and fashions her into a woman, into the perfect match, this helper fit for him, and brings uh, the woman uh, to the man for them to be uh, joined together. Um, there's a great quote I just have to read you from, uh, from Puritan Matthew Henry uh, describing why it is that, you know, just his version of what he thinks in, in terms of the connection of God taking one of Adam's ribs and forming uh, the woman out of this rib. He says, not, uh, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on, uh, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And God brings her uh, to Adam, and you hear, you hear Adam's excitement. You hear his satisfaction, right? This, this at last, he says, at last, is what I've been longing for. And he bursts out into poetry. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Here's what I've been waiting for. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is what I've longed for. Um, you see what God has created is a, is a perfect relationship uh, of marital and, and sexual uh, relationship of love. The verse goes on to say, a man shall leave his father and mother, right? And the, other, the other relationships aren't nearly as important. What's most central is their relationship as they cleave uh, to one another. They hold fast to one another and even uh, uh, they become one flesh. I looked uh, a few weeks ago to see that just the two becoming one flesh is a, is a sexual image even describing uh, that relationship and one that Paul says in Ephesians 5, uh, this mystery is profound, he says, but it, I tell you it refers to Christ and the church. So we have uh, a picture of the gospel here. So as you can say that, that more than any other point in all of history and any other sexual relationship uh, that, that ever existed, uh, Adam and Eve here uh, represent the, the mutual love of Christ for the church uh, and what we desire it to be. But that came closest to the reality uh, that we're still anticipating when Jesus returns. And I especially just want to draw your attention then to, to verse 25 of how that part of the section ends. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But there's no perversion here. It's right. It's pure. It's true. It's good how God designed it. Uh, and they can be uh, naked in front of one another, looking at one another's bodies with desire for one another, uh, vulnerable and open and yet secure, um, trusting one another and having a relationship of full love. Um, this is how God has created it. This is what we long for. This is what we desire. This is what sex is for. It's this original sexual perfection the way God created it. It doesn't stay that way, does it? Um, even in the passage we read, that we see sin enter in. We see sin and perversion. Um, it's not sexual in this passage, uh, but um, we see sexual perversion even enter in with the first sin. Now, I don't know what comes to y'all's mind when you hear the term perversion. What particular uh, perversions uh, maybe you immediately go to. Maybe for you it's, it's the real extreme things, right? Uh, maybe you hear perversion and you go right outer bounds of 
uh, you know, necrophilia or bestiality or whatever, right? Really extreme, anyone would agree, um, horrible, rather not think about. There's a lot of other things though that are they're very widely debated, whether or not we think they're good or bad, whether they're truly perverse or fine and natural. Um, you know, things like just simply sex outside of marriage. Is that still fine? Is that wrong? If so, what's, what's the matter with it? Or someone who has different partners at different times. Um, or, or multiple partners at the same time, right? Um, homosexual, bisexual, are those, those things that are wrong? Are they perverse? Are they, are they right? Um, masturbation, pornography, do those things come into your mind for, for part of what's perverted or Maybe even things that, that you experience, uh, that you've experienced a part of who you are, uh, um, you know, beyond some of the other things we mentioned, lust, uh, masturbation, uh, pornography, oral sex, touching, uh, heavy kissing, inappropriate, um, <coughs> inappropriate relationships there. Uh, the uh, uh, statement from, uh, I still go back to the Connect conference in the fall, Andy Johnson was just talking, he would just say the sex randomly at different points to get people to, uh, to pay attention. <laughs> Eventually, you just heard sex, and you go, oh, Andy wants me to pay attention again. Um, but he also spoke about dry humping for us there. So, you know, got to bring out the dry humping. How, how does that fit in with that? Is that, is that okay? Um, you know, we've got all these things of how we, uh, where we want to draw the lines and what we think, uh, <coughs> what we think fits in. Um, I think here, uh, the Bible tells us what's perversion or what's perverted I and mean, what makes it right or wrong. Um, because it's in relation to this picture of the original sexual perfection of how God designed things. And anything that takes uh, that sexual perfection, how God designs it, and turns it or twists it or puts it in a different way is, is perverting it. it, it it's turning it that way. It's, it's making it wrong. So you know, once you go from that picture, it's easy to say what doesn't fit with that. Rather than designing every, you know, every exclusion, uh, you're, we're told what's right. And we see how we've made that wrong. Um, so that anything outside of intimate, marital, love relationship between a male and a female um, is, is perversion. So sleeping around is, is perverted. Masturbation um, <coughs> is perverted. Homosexuality, multiple partners, uh, foreplay outside of marriage. Where's that going? Even... even Either I get the part to say sex within marriage without a real uh, loving intimacy the way that you have between Adam and Eve, uh, there's a side of perversion uh, that can be there. And Genesis 3 tells the story of how perversion entered in uh, and, and what came with it. And it speaks to us about all sin. It speaks to us about sin as a perversion in essence. You know the story, and we've read it, but you see Satan coming in in the form of a serpent, right? form of a serpent. And he, uh, he begins to twist what God has said. Didn't God say, you can't, you can't eat of, of any of these trees uh, that are here in this, this great garden that you've been placed in? And he responds, oh, no, no, we can eat of all the other trees. There's just this one. And she kind of adds to it. They're not supposed to, supposed to touch it. And, and then Satan's strategy is to say, We'll just go head up against God's word and say it's not true. You will not surely die. And in fact, God's manipulating you because he knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll, you'll be like a God and you'll know uh, right and wrong. You'll know uh, good and evil in that way. And then Eve is there deciding uh, who to listen to, right? 
She's heard, she's heard from God. She's heard from Satan. Um, and, and she's deciding. What is she going to listen to? What, how will she decide? What, what's her view of what, what is right and what she'll do? And it describes her looking at it and going, you know, this, this looks like an edible fruit. It's, it's good for food. And actually, it looks really, it looks really good. It's desiring. And even it says when that she sees it's uh, desirable to, to make one wise. <coughs> um, and we see Adam and Eve joining together in their marriage relationship, joining together in the sin. Adam's there with her, and she eats the fruit, gives it to him, and he eats of it with her. And then we see what that sin brings, that perversion of her sin brings. Uh, verse 7, the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I see their guilt. Alright? see their shame. I see them hiding. I see blame shifting. Right? So if they're naked, maybe it'd make more sense for us to, to put it here. The, the context, they're exposed. Their eyes are open, and, and they're exposed. They know what they've done. They know that they have disobeyed God, done exactly what they told Him not to do, and they can see their evil. Few, you know, a few verses ago, they were naked and, and unashamed. And now they're looking at one another's bodies and, and they can't trust one another. And they can't trust how the other sees them. Um, and they're throwing fig leaves. They're like, I was just going to like, of all things, fig leaves, you know? Um, but, but here they are, throwing fig leaves, any, any type of, of covering them. And, uh, and, and we, see, uh, we see them hiding, we see them um, blaming. And I think what we hear as we read the story um, it's our story, right? Like, we connect easily when we read these things. I remember the first time I was reading this with Daphne. She was probably two, not yet three, right? And I'm, the first time I remember just telling her the story. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's a very active child for any of you who've been around Daphne. Like, she doesn't stop moving that much. She's, you know, she's all over. And we start talking about them uh, um, <coughs> you know, eating this that God had told them not to eat. And she kind of you know, starts to pay attention there, like, cause she kind of knows what that's like to disobey, right? She, she's like, wait, I've done that kind of thing before. I wonder what happens to them, you know? So she starts listening, and uh, I mean, especially when she hears uh, that they're hiding, right? I just watch her attention focus and asking her, you know, Daphne, why are they, why are they hiding, right? She's going, they're hiding because they've done what God told them not to do. Um, Right. She, she's there, she can relate to that. She, she can say why they're hiding because she knows it. And we know it. Uh, we know that feeling of our guilt when we've done wrong. And we know that what we want to do is run a corner and hide. I want to make up some way where you can't know what I did. And if there's any way possible, I want there to be a way where God can't know what I did. That maybe I'm protected from that. And God calls out to them. Uh, not that God doesn't know, but he calls out for us to answer. Uh, for them to answer, where are you? And then Adam has to say, <clears throat> you know, I'm hiding uh, because I was naked. And he follows up on that. Have you, have you eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to eat from? And you, you see Adam, like he knows he's, he knows he's got to own up to the, to the fact that he did wrong, but, but how do he deal with it, right? Well, the woman... It's, it's the woman first. You got the woman that you gave me who's supposed to be my perfect match. Like, she messed up and, and she gave the food to me. And I, <coughs> you know, 
I mean, you see just how much their relationship is already torn apart by the sin, right? He's, he's throwing her under the bus. Um, Lord, it's, it's her fault. So, so Eve, well, you know, what's this that you've done? Uh, the serpent. It's the serpent. He, he, he tricked me on all this, and, and yeah, I ate, but, but, he, but he deceived me here. We see then God's a curse against the serpent, uh, but against uh, the man and the woman as well, and they're experiencing the consequence of the sin. Um, I think that's our story. We know that constantly. Um, we know that hiding, we know that blame shifting. Right? Well, if, you know, if, if all the, you know, if the girls weren't dressing so modestly on campus, I've heard guys say this, if the girls didn't dress so modestly on campus, then, you know, then it would just be so much easier. I wouldn't struggle with this so much. <coughs> the girls are going, if the guys didn't all pay attention to the, to the girls whose breasts were hanging out, then, then I would feel more comfortable with myself and, and feel more secure being around them. Right? We, we're constantly, we're, we're blame shifting one way or the other of, of trying to excuse our sin and, and put it on someone else. Um, if we need to look at it in a, in a sexual way to see that sexual perversion, uh, Romans 1 spells it out a little bit further uh, for us. You can flip over there. I'm not going to read the whole section of it, but uh, it begins in verse 18 saying, uh, the, the wrath of the, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against Everything ungodly, all unrighteousness of men. Uh, because we know that God is God, but we don't, we don't worship Him. We don't serve Him. And instead it says, well, we take anything and everything else and say, oh, I'm going to worship that. I'm going to serve that as my God instead. And so it says that uh, God gave them up to the, to the lust of their hearts, in verse 24, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves uh, because of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It says, for this reason, even goes on, talks specifically about homosexuality. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men receiving themselves a due penalty uh, for their error. And it, and it goes on, though, right? Unless you think that it's just kind of homosexuality, that's the, that's the bad sin, right? That's real perversion and, and other things that we might struggle with. No, they're not a problem. Look, look what it says. God did not see, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do it and ought not to be done, filled with all manner of unrighteousness, full of envy. That's, that's not what we ever struggle with, right? I've, I've never envied anybody else. The, kind of, the attention that they get from, uh, from the ladies or from the guys, you know, whatever. Um, murder, strife, deceit. Never lie about anything. No, no, no. Maliciousness, they are their gossip, slanderers. In the same category there with homosexuality. Uh, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That was not supposed to be in there, right? Um, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, um, giving approval even to those wrong things. Um, and you, you see the way it's, it's uh, looking at it there, right? That's not others out there. I thought these other people that struggle with perversion, sexual perversions, and sins of whatever kind, uh, it concludes saying this, therefore you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. Um, we're, we're, we're all caught in that circle of sin, of perversion, and, uh, and even sexual uh, perversion. Um, so what do we do? What do we do as we see that? Or maybe the question that we asked before, 
What does God do with us? Bring us to the third point. Why don't you see that, uh, that, that what we see from the passage as it goes on is the gospel. It's that God redeems the perverted in Christ. God redeems perverts in Christ. He, he, he saves us. He buys us back out of our rebellion at the cost of Jesus' blood. Uh, and Jesus experiences the consequences of our wrong as he suffers on the cross. And we receive God's love. Jesus died for perverts. Jesus died uh, for perverts to be forgiven, for us, uh, for others. Is that possible? Do you believe that? Where, where does your mind go when you ask that question, what does God think of me? God knows my sexual desires, my sexual acts. What does God think of me? Um, you're right that God knows they're, they're wrong, but then how does God still think of you? We immediately, right, we go to, there's some creeds, we go to guilt, a shame, like I need guilt and shame and hiding, or we're blame shifting. Um, after you've gone through that uh, pornography binge on the internet, um, how, do you, how do you relax? How do you react? How do you feel like God thinks about you? After going too far physically in a relationship, how do you react? Where do you think, uh, how do you think that God thinks of you? After knowing the thoughts that are going on in your mind and not being able to get away from them, that do to your relationship with God. I remember a student that I talked to uh, several years back um, just deeply struggling with sexual sin. Uh, for him, struggling with masturbation. Um, and he was depressed. Uh, and he didn't know what to do with it, and he was beginning to hate himself, and he didn't see any way out. He found himself caught in it uh, so many times and in so many ways. Um, we try to talk through the gospel. So how does the gospel meet you here in your sin? How does it relate to you? Um, and eventually for him to get to, that for him part of his bigger problem was that he believed that his sexual sin and his masturbation was bigger than the cross. He believed what he had done was more than what Jesus could ever pay for. Um, he thought his sin was bigger than Jesus. He thought, I'm so messed up that I can't be forgiven, that I can't be accepted. Right? Isn't, that how we, isn't that how we react? Isn't that what we think? If I'm really this messed up, there's no way that God can love me. We pretend like we're really not that messed up so that we can believe that God loves us. We pretend other people are really messed up, but we're okay, and we have God's love, and those people, well, hopefully they'll change at some point and something can happen there. Um, the gospel says that we're so messed up uh, that, Christ, uh, that Christ came to fully forgive all our wrongs, that we needed him, that we needed God in the form of Jesus uh, to die on the cross, that we would be forgiven. And that any and every sin that we could ever possibly uh, commit has been taken upon him. He's born in our place. He suffered the full penalty of it. That there is therefore, as Romans says, no condemnation and no more guilt uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has taken on that shame, but been raised from the dead, that we can have security and confidence in him. The last verse that we read in our passage is about from Genesis 3.15 that it goes on to other curses. Um, there's the curse of the Satan. It's the offspring of the woman against the offspring of Jesus. Uh, it's been described as, as the first proclamation or the first statement of the gospel in Scripture. 
in Genesis 3.15, in Adam and Eve's sin and in their punishment, who's that offspring of the woman? Uh, it will defeat the offspring of Satan. Jesus. Um, who is it that will crush uh, the head of the serpent as the serpent crushes his heel? It's Jesus. Where does it take place? The death of Jesus on the cross. We see Jesus crushed on the cross, experiencing the penalty uh, for our perversion, sexual and otherwise. I would see Jesus, though, crushing death and crushing uh, the devil, as, as Hebrew, uh, Hebrews puts it, that he uh, destroyed the death and the one who has power over death, that is the devil. Jesus crushes that death, uh, crushes the devil and pain of death and rising from the dead that we can have new life in him. See, God never uh, removed entirely uh, the, the perverts, Adam and Eve, uh, from him and their sin, but even in their cursing, promised complete restoration to them. Did not give up uh, his love. After the curse, he made garments and clothes them and he, he rescues them by Jesus. He rescues them by his love away from their, their perversion and back to him. He rescues us away from our perversion and back to him. Listen, sexual perversion isn't something that's new, right? Maybe you consider it to be rampant uh, in our culture. I'd say it's pretty rampant at FSU. Um, it's not something that's new at all. Um, you look in scripture, you'll, you'll find, or look in some of the history, you'll find first century uh, Greco-Roman culture, um, but probably, you know, if anything, maybe more extreme uh, than ours. And I just want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Corinth uh, was one of the places where uh, this is very much the true, the sexual perversion that was there. Because this is just a passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, uh, a passage where you just see very obviously, if it hadn't been clear to you yet, see very obviously that God redeems perverts. That Jesus came to die uh, for perverts. And to draw us into his kingdom. Um, here's what it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. <clears throat> Such were some of you. Do you believe that about yourself? Are you willing to admit that about yourself? You're an are you are you okay with that about other people that are still brought into the Christian church and the people who did these kind of things, who struggled with these kind of uh, sexual perverted problems? That this is who God loves and calls into Himself. Um, God can. <coughs> save uh, perverts um, because of what Christ has done. We, we, we can't shun, we can't scorn uh, people that we think of as horribly sexually immoral, right? How do you relate to them? You just look down your nose and say, I've got to keep away from that person. Do you know the kind of things that she does? Do you know how many guys she's been with? Do uh, you know what this guy does on the weekend? Um, that's either who we are or who we were or who we're struggling um, what those days desire. Uh, but God's power, uh, God has power to change 
us. Uh, to draw us out of rebellion and into fellowship and obedience, right? But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. God makes perverse clean and pure again. Listen, that's good news to me. Um, it's good news for you. Uh, God can say of perverts, you're righteous, you're justified, you're declared just and righteous uh, because of what Jesus has done, because his obedience, and that's how I see you, by what my son has done. Let your guilt and your shame go away. My son has taken it. I love you. I accept you. You are right in my sight. That's the gospel for us. And God can save us out of our perversions uh, to obedience and a fellowship in him. God redeems perverts in Christ. So what are we to think of a sexual perversion then? The Bible says there is such a thing, right? There is such a thing as sexual perversion, uh, turning the sexual perfection that God has made wrong. And just like all other sins, it's a deep, horrid offense to God, just like disobedience to parents and slander. God hates it enough um, that he sends Jesus to death and to the experience of the pain of hell and judgment for those sins. And God, through Jesus, can save us from it and shows us the great extent that his love goes to. The gospel is for, for perverts. The gospel is for sexual perverts. The gospel for you. I want you to be able to experience that there's a, there's a deeper satisfaction uh, than being a trisexual. And, and, and rather than looking for fulfillment going from one thing or one person uh, to the next, I would challenge you to try uh, the one thing that, that, that maybe in some ways you despise most. I um, challenge you to look to Jesus for the fulfillment of your needs. Um, fulfillment of your needs of acceptance and of love. To rest in his power to love you, uh, to accept you, and to purify you. That's what he's done for us. In this passage, uh, we've read about the day when sexual perfection uh, was turned into sexual perversion of guilt and shame and death. And the gospel tells us, and, we, and sex uh, reminds us and teaches us of the day that we long for, the day when sexual perversion will be turned into sexual perfection and fullness. When Christ returns for his bride, when Christ returns with love for his church, having washed her and purified her, at that time when sin will be no more, but all we will be able to experience is only and always intimate fellowship with the Lord God Almighty, the Lord who has died for us, who has saved us, who has redeemed us, and, and overwhelms us with his love. Uh, this is the God that we serve. Let's pray. Uh, God, I confess, uh, and we confess, that, that we don't like to be reminded of our sin, uh, certainly not our sexual sin, which we like to believe that we keep covered pretty well, that no one knows about, and would even like to forget that you know about. Lord, I don't like to be reminded of that. We don't like to be confronted with it. Lord, you know what is true of us. You know the worst things that are true about us, uh, things that we hesitate to admit to, admit to ourselves. 
أن يأبوتي مغارة أن يغارة صلى الله